Welcome to the Freedom Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are investing in your relationship with the Lord by listening to this message. Check out our YouTube channel for a complete log of all of our sermons. If you would like to know more about FC, visit our website at www.freedomfamily.us. God bless and remember that the best is yet to come. Check, check. You guys hear me okay? All right, so I have to treat you like you're a high school. Is that okay? So raise your right hand. Repeat this up to me. I. State your name. Do. Hereby will. Promise to open up my mind, heart, fingers, to learn, to grow, to be a great citizen of this planet we call Earth. Woo! Good job. <laughs> Clap for yourselves. You did a very good job. Clap for yourselves. So, yes, I am a motivational speaker. It's part of my job. I, I travel around the country and speak in high schools all over the country. I've been in over uh, 2,000 schools. I think it's somewhere around 2,500 schools, uh, over a couple million kids all over the world, actually, not just the country, but mostly in the United States, but also in Europe. And we've been to Europe and been to Asia. Uh, the thing that I do when I start to do a school, first of all, I want to thank Pastor T and Shanda for allowing me to be here today. Uh, can we clap for them? They're having a, a well-needed rest. So, um, we, uh, so the first thing I do when I, when I stand up in front of a high school, <clears throat> I pick up a shoe because there is a Native American proverb that I really like that says, unless you've walked a mile in somebody else's shoes, you really don't know what it's like to be them. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that's, that's what that means, right? Unless you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, it's really hard to know what they've been through in their life. So when I stand there in front of a school, I pick up a shoe and I say to them, everybody in this room has a story and your story really does matter. And I say it again because this is the reason I say it again. I say, I have to say this again because some of you didn't hear that. Not because you're disrespecting me, but you're probably in the habit of disrespecting yourself. So let me say it one more time. Everybody in this room has a story, and your story really does matter. It's ironic that I do assemblies because I didn't like them. I grew up in South Boston, Massachusetts, and we had assemblies, and they were dumb. Okay, I'll just be honest, right? We had the dumb ones. How many of you have had dumb ones, right? Like we had the old, I'm not trying to make fun of people, but we had this old hippie dude that would come to our high school, and he would, he like stands there, he's like, boys and girls, I did drugs. And we were like, today? Like, <laughs> pretty sure that's illegal, right? And then, and then we had this lady come to our school. I'm not kidding you. This lady was like, she was nice and stuff, but we were in high school, and she comes in with poodles, right? She's got poodles and hula hoops, and they're jumping through the hoops, and they're doing tricks, and, and it's weird music playing. And we were in high school. It wasn't like elementary. We were in high school, sitting in the front row going, is she going to light them on fire? That'd be kind of funny. Um, anyways, it, 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 she stops after 20 minutes of playing with her poodles and doing tricks and stuff. She goes, <laughs> she goes, these are drug-free puppies. Like the stoned ones are in the van, you know what I mean? Like, they're not ready yet, I guess. They're in puppy rehab. Anyways, she, she's like, and you can be a drug-free puppy too. So clap for me because I'm a drug-free puppy. Clap for me. Thank you. Yes. It's good to know your student minister is not on drugs. Um, so... Here's the thing. My story, the reason I didn't like assemblies was they were dumb. But the other reason I didn't like them was because when I walked into a room like this and I was at an assembly, I would look at students and I would look at them and I wouldn't judge them. I would judge me. I would go, well, you know, their story matters. Their story matters. I didn't think my story mattered. I'm not going to get into my whole story, but my story has to do with drugs. I started doing drugs when I was in sixth grade all the way through to high school. When people ask me, 
why I did drugs, I can tell you what they want me to tell you, especially in high schools. They want me to say I did drugs because of peer pressure. That's not true for me. I'm not saying it's not true for some people, but for me it was not true. My drug use had to do with one word, and the word was pain. I was like a pharmacist. I gave drugs and I did drugs for pain. I'm not talking about broken leg pain, physical pain. I'm talking about I have a memory of my dad leaving my family when I was five years old. I'm an old dude, but I still remember sitting on the front steps watching my father, who was my hero at the time, packing the car, putting boxes, putting suitcases in the back of the car, and he left our family. He came back three years later to the area. He had a new wife. He had a new kid. He had a whole new world, and I wasn't part of that world. I don't say that for you to feel sorry for me. I'm not asking anybody in this room to feel sorry for me, but I know that that day was the beginning of a bunch of messed up stuff that happened. My mom, I'll just put it this way, I'm not trying to disrespect my mom, but my mom came from a long line of abuse. My great-grandmother abused my grandfather. My grandfather abused my mom. When it became my mom's turn to have kids, my mom just did what she saw. That was her normal, so she just did that. And back in the 70s when I grew up, whatever happened in your house stayed in your house. It was that unspoken rule, right? You know, you just let things happen. And so a lot of really bad things happened. So consequently, what I did when I was in sixth grade, somebody offered me drugs. It had nothing to do with peer pressure. It had everything to do with the fact that I liked the way it made me feel. And you know what? You don't get many adults admitting that they like drugs because they don't want to condone drug use, which I understand that. But I'm not going to lie to kids, okay? I'll just tell you that right up. I'm not going to lie to them and tell the truth. The truth was I was doing it because it was solving a problem that I, I thought it was solving a problem. It wasn't, obviously, but I thought it was. That's why I will never walk into a school, put my finger in anybody's face, and judge them for doing drugs. First of all, you know why people bring speakers like me in? They bring speakers like me in because they, they see a problem in the school. Like, oh, we have a vaping issue. We have a bullying issue. We have teen pregnancy issue. Let's bring Mike in. Or let's bring the speaker in. Boom. And so they, they vector in on this behavior, right? They want me to address the behavior. This is what I've learned about doing schools for the last 20 years. It's not about the behavior. It's about the belief behind the behavior. There's a reason people do what they do. I have five kids, right? I, even my own kids. I don't really care what they're doing. That sounds counterintuitive to what I'm doing here, but I, it doesn't matter to me what they're doing as much as it matters to me why they're doing it. Raise your hand if that makes any sense. Because the reason's the issue, not the behavior. We can change behavior with behavior modification, and we can change behavior with fear tactics and things like that, but that never works, right? That's not long haul. Long haul is changing a belief, finding out what the belief is, and that works. So my testimony was I, when I was sophomore in high school, drug use, all this stuff, um, there was a domestic violence situation in my home. And so I had to, basically, I ended up in the hospital and uh, DF, 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 DCF, whatever, Department of Human Services came in and took me out of the home. And they didn't put me in foster care because I was too old, so they emancipated me as a minor. So my junior year and my senior year, I lived in my own apartment. I stayed in high school, I got my diploma, and then I went into the Air Force. And the Air Force was the best thing that happened to me. I was stationed off at Air Force Base in Nebraska, but I was still self-medicating. I wasn't doing drugs because they sell, they, they drug test. So I was drinking all the time. And I was part, I was that guy. I was the guy going to the clubs and just reckless abandon towards I don't care and just doing my thing. And one day in the barracks, this really attractive girl, I'll just tell you, she was hot. She was beautiful. And she was the girl. She was the untouchable girl. Like, we all talked about her, right? Her name was Chrissy. And we're like, oh, she's so hot. Well, she walked over to me. I was like, oh, hello, right? And, and, she, and she comes over and she goes, she goes, hey, do you want to go to church with me? And I was thinking in my head, I would join a cult with you, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, 
I'll drink the Kool-Aid, I'll shave my head, whatever you, wherever we're going, I'm going, right? So anyways, ended up going, and she ended up being crazy, but ended up going to this church, and, um, and, and so uh, it was good, and, and God got a hold of me, and, I, and it was awesome because I, I could see, you know what the best thing about, I mean, I could go on and on about what God did, but here's the biggest thing he did, was helping me realize my value, because I walked around, when people don't feel valuable, they don't act valuable. Raise your hand if that makes any sense, right? So we all care about what they're doing. It's, it's, the idea is they don't really value themselves. And that was me. I was walking around drinking. and part, don't, I didn't care because I didn't care. And so when Jesus came into my life, I started to care about me, which consequently made me want to care about others. Isn't that funny how that works? You know, when God gets a hold of you, you, you want to care now. And, that, and that's what happened to me. And so I began to uh, work with teenagers. I, when I went to that youth group, I, I, it, was, it was huge. It was like 300 kids back in the 80s, which was huge for now. That's not that huge. But back then, that was a big youth group. And so it was great. I got trained up. I wanted to be a youth pastor. Um, I, I, I loved what was happening. God was working through me. I ended up being trained by their youth ministry there. It was an Assemblies of God church. I got... I uh, went through their training, and I ended up being a youth pastor at Rockford, Illinois. My first youth group was at a mega church. I didn't plan this. It just happened. It was at this massive church, 5,000 seat sanctuary, this machine that was happening. And they had a high school, and I, I was the spiritual life director of the high school. So for five years, I worked in the school doing chapels. Plus, I, the youth group was like 800 kids. It was massive. And so we had a staff, a whole staff. I was part of that staff. I was the assistant high school pastor. And so it was amazing. It was a great time. Five years later, I left there. I went, to, I went to Denver, Colorado at Orchard Road Christian Center. And when I got there, um, it was a mega church as well, but it was a, it was a, TV, it was a TV evangelist is who I worked for, Marilyn Hickey. And so I was their youth pastor. And it was, again, we were well-funded, and we, we, it was a blast, right? Well, three years after I was there, uh, the Columbine situation happened. So two of the kids that were killed in Columbine were in my youth group. So Rachel Scott and Cassie Brunell were, were part of the youth group that I started. And so that impacted me huge for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to get into all of them. The biggest reason was what happened in the hallways of that school shouldn't happen. And so I was like, we got to get into the schools. So I started a school assembly program called R5 Productions back in 2002. And we started going into schools and, and talking to kids. And what I, like I said, what I realized was that, that the issue is not the thing they're bringing me in for, the behavior. There's a value problem with, with kids in schools. They don't see their value. And so let me, let me read this to you. This is a, um, a quote from Patricia Hur. She wrote this book called A Tribe Apart. And and it's a great read. It's, it's really good. And, and one of the things that she, well, let me just read this to you, uh, what this says. Over the years, the tone of discourse, oh, by the way, she wrote this before the internet. She wrote this before smartphones. So this is interesting. Over the years, the tone of discourse on adolescence has become shrill and frightened. Increasingly desperate attempts to understand and know them fragment them into pieces of behavior that are good or bad. They are labeled and classified like so many in the animal kingdom by how they look and how they act. Theories abound on how to manage them, fix them, and improve them as if they were products off an assembly line. Just tinker with the education system, manipulate the drug messages, impose citywide curfews, make more rules, write contracts, build more detention centers, be tough. 
Maybe if we just tell adolescents to say no, no, no to everything we disapprove of, maybe then they will be okay. But the piecemeal attempts to mend, motivate, or rescue them obscure the larger reality. We don't know them. America's own adolescents have become strangers. How many of you parents out here have been sitting at the kitchen table or dining room table with your, with your student, with your child, and they'll look at their phone and their mood changes? Raise your hand. Right? Completely. Why? Because they're connected to a world that you're not connected to. You're, they're connected to a world that you're not connected to, and they're connected to it very heavily. So, so they're constantly in that world. I mean, a kid can have a drama at 11 o'clock in the morning in a school. It'll follow them to 11 o'clock at night because of this, right? And I have parents come to me and they say, well, you know, we had that kind of social pressure when we were in school. No, you didn't. Not like this. There's no way. This is a TV studio. They're broadcasting me right now with a device like this, right? They, they, they live in a different world than we lived in. Completely different world. And we've got to understand that because the gap between how we understand it and where they really live is what's really hurting kids. America's own adolescents have become strangers, and that's a, that's a tough line. Teenagers face daily pressure that is relentless and daunting. This, um, and, and when they, pray, they face that pressure, there are, there are natural consequences of that pressure. They do things, right? They self-medicate, as Johnny Depp talked about. Let me read this other quote from Johnny Depp, or this quote from Johnny Depp I really like. He said, he's talking about drug use, and he goes, I think it has less to do with recreation and more to do with the fact that we need to escape from our brains. We need to escape from everyday life. It's self-medication, and that's the problem. I think it's interesting that Johnny Depp didn't say we need to escape from tragic things that happen to us because that would limit the room, right? Certainly there are people in this room that have had tragic things happen to you, but most of us go through life on a daily basis, and everyday life beats us up. Raise your hand if I'm right about that. Everyday life. And here's why people don't know. Look at my face. What am I doing right this second? What am I doing? How many of you have learned how to smile? How many of you in this room have learned how to smile on the outside, but you weren't smiling on the inside? Right, raise your hand, right? You're like, yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, I want to kill you and your family, but I'm doing good. Right. And listen, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that feels like you need to tell everybody your deepest problems. And I'm going to say this. I'm in a church, and, I'll say, and I work here, but I'm going to say this. Sometimes churches can be the loneliest place in the world because you've got to put on a show, right? You've got to come in here, oh, I love Jesus, you know, and then there's stuff going on. And, and churches shouldn't be like that. This should be the place that we get real. Amen? Amen? This should be the place. Anyways, I digress. So here's why, here's why it's important to, to this is what I, I tell students this. I tell high schools and middle schools this when I talk. I say that, if you don't have at least one person in your life that knows you behind the smile, you scare me. You scare me. You scare me for a lot of reasons, right? Craig Scott was in the, the church service before this one. Craig's the Columbine survivor. He's the product. What happened to him that day was a product of a guy who smiled a lot. Eric and, Eric and Dylan, the two shooters, nobody saw this coming because they smiled a lot, right? They, there are things that happen behind that smile, that, that we need to know about, right? And so let me give you an example. I was at a, I got called to a school in Nebraska and the principal called me and said, we had a, we had a student uh, die at a party. Would you come to our school? 2,500 kids in the school. So I get there and basically what happened with this kid is he didn't kill himself. He wasn't killed. It was sort of an accident. He goes to this party and his kids, they call it a Skittles party. They, they come and they take pills from home. They put it in a bowl. 
you know, so, so you got everything in there. You got aspirins, you've got oxy, you've got, you've, you've got all kinds of different things in this bowl. And the kids will take one out, see what it does. It's, it's absolutely foolish. But what this kid did was he didn't take one. He took a handful like they were M&Ms and put them in his mouth. And whatever he took stopped his heart. So he had a, part, he had a heart attack right there and died at the party. Sad, sad. So I get to the school. I do the assemblies. The last assembly I did that day was his friends, which was really incredibly sad. And then it wasn't really an assembly. It was me just hugging necks. But then I, I get a call from his mom. And his mom wanted to tell me, because I was, I, the speaking went well, the assembly went well, it was a buzz in the community, so she calls me, she goes, I want to tell you about my son. So I have a shoe here, and so she goes, I want to tell you about Dylan. And so she starts telling me about Dylan, and she's going through this whole thing, and listen, parents, this is what she was doing, and, and I'm not faulting her for this, but, but I knew exactly what she was doing when she did it. She was going down the checklist of all the reasons why he shouldn't have done that, Right? Well, you know, he, he, he smiled a lot. He was, he was a happy kid. He had a girlfriend. He was on the baseball team. He was popular. Check, check, check. She's going down the list, right? Then she goes, she said this. She goes, I wish I would have paid attention to what he kept trying to tell me, though. We talked for an hour and a half, and, and towards the end of the conversation, she busted us out. She said, I wish, he would have, I wish I would have paid attention to what he kept trying to say. I said, what was that? She goes, he kept talking about the pressure he was under as a high school student. And she goes, I didn't listen to him. And she had a lot of regret, obviously. So I said, why didn't you listen to him? And this is what she said, parents. She said, because it didn't look like pressure to me. He smiled a lot. He put on the show. He did what he needed to do to make it look like he was okay, and he wasn't okay. And that ended in tragedy, and that, that's messed up. And you know what? And then she asked me the question. She goes, Mike, do you know what pressure he's talking about? And I go, yeah. Not to be cocky, but I, I've been doing this for 20 years. And, and I'm, I'm walking the hallways of the school. In fact, you know what's so funny? Right after the second ser- first service, a, a woman stopped me in the hallway, and she's a school teacher here in town, and she goes, I wanted to stand up in the middle of your presentation and say, he's not just talking about New York. He's not just talking about Iowa. He's, not just, he's talking about our kids. She goes, she goes, you just described 50 of my kids in my, in my school right now that I know of. The, the pressure they face on an everyday basis is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's, 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 it comes at them. Because I'll say this. As soon as they walk onto that school, it's not just a school. Like, well, you just got to understand that. When you drive by the school, and, you know, you're just driving by on your way to work or your way to get the groceries or whatever, and you see the school, your, your mind's going to go back to when you were in school and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's school. No, it's not like that way anymore. And it wasn't that way then either, but it's worse now because, because of the social media and all the different stuff. But the pressure they face is unbelievable. As soon as they walk down the hallway to that school, they're being judged. It happens before they get there, but it, but it really happens when they're coming down the hallway, and here comes this pressure. And it's sort of like being on a stage, right? They have to put on a show. they got to be able to say to their, to their teachers, this is who I am. They gotta be able to say to their parents, no, this is who I am. Then they gotta be able to say to their peers, no, this is who I am. And that gets daunting. That gets that that's hard to do that, right? I'm on a I'm on a stage right now. You're judging me, not in a bad way, but like, you know, is he funny? Is he good? Is he that, that he's too old to be our youth? Whatever. But bottom line is there's just that's I'm here for an hour. Eight hours a day. In fact, the the they, they say that, let me read the stat to you, that according to the National Education Association, students spend, 
you know, basically 8,000 hours during their adolescent years under that much pressure. Let me show you what this means. Put that, uh, that two governments graphic up there. This is, this is basically what your kids are facing every day when they walk into this school. You've got this guy here who is, you know, trying to live out his life, trying to have values, trying to, he goes to, he goes to Freedom Church, he goes to Freed, he, he, you know, he, he's trying to live for God, but he's coming into this government. When I say government, this is what I mean by this. The word government means the control exercised over the body of its members, right? That's, that's the simple version of what, 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 what government means. It's control. And so, yes, they have control. Parents have control. But, but this is where the real control happens. I'll give you an example. I was at a school in Pennsylvania. A girl walks up to me at the end of the assembly. And by the way, this is a private school. I've been there twice. It's where the Rooney kids go to school, the people that own the Steelers. They send their grandkids and cousins. Everybody goes to this school. It's 40 grand a year to go to this high school. I've been there twice. So it's, it's money. Like, right? So the girl sits next to me, and she goes, all the kids in school are calling me a freak. And so I go, Why? And this is exactly what she said to me. She goes, because I won't go to the cool kid parties. I stopped going to the cool kid parties. I said, why? Put that graph back up if you don't mind. So basically, she's here going, I'm not going to go to the cool kid parties anymore. She was here doing that. She decided not to. And I asked her why. I said, why don't you go anymore? She goes, because I know what happens to sophomore girls who go to parties with senior boys. So somewhere along the line, she picked up a value. If she was your kid, raise your hand if you'd be proud of her, right? Well, yeah, because you live here, right? This is where you live, so you're proud of her. She's not, they're not proud of her down here. By the way, when she was asked to go to the party on that Friday, whatever it was, it was less of an invitation and more of an expectation. Raise your hand if I'm right about that, right? Yeah, she's, she's, she's being told she needs to go to this party, not asked to go, right? If you're going to be part of us, you need to go. And if you don't, you're going to get ostracized. And this girl looked at me like, what the heck just happened to me? I'm just trying to live out my life. That's what's happening to our kids. That's, what happen, hap, that's what's happening to your kid. For them to walk out the values that we teach at this school, at this, at this church, and what I teach in, in, uh, in Freed, and what Kayla's been teaching, w- w- that's, th- for them to walk that out on a daily basis is a lot of pressure. We're like, well, I had pressure too. No, you did not. Not like this. It's different now. And that's what I'm trying. I'm not trying to feel sorry for them, but I'm trying to help you understand where they're coming from, you have to. You have to, whether it's your grandkid or your kid or, or just people that you pass by in our church so you know what they're going through. The pressure they feel causes separate identities. These, I've got to please this person, I've got to please this person. There's a separate identities that happen, right? These identities are formed. Um, they want to please us, but they also live in a world that demands obedience. It demands obedience. It does, because they're going to pay a social price for, I have five kids, and my son didn't laugh at a dirty joke one time in his middle school, and then all the kids called him gay, and, and, and because he didn't laugh at a dirty joke. It just that, that, that one little thing of saying, you know what, I'm not going to laugh at the dirty joke, caused about six months of me having to walk him through uh, his, wh- wh- what happened to him. He's like, Dad, I just didn't, all I did was put my head down. I go, did you make fun of the kid after he told the dirty joke? He goes, no, Dad. He goes, all I did is put my head down and, and, and didn't laugh at the joke. To have a moral compass, what we teach here, to walk that out in their world is against the law. Raise your hand if that makes sense. It's against their law. It's against their law. 
At this point, many teenagers engage in something that I call image management. And I didn't coin this phrase. Actually, I read it in a book that I didn't want to read. Because I'm connected to the Columbine situation through relationships with Craig and, and other in the Brunells, I did not want to read a book that somebody handed to me. It was a book written by uh, Dylan Claybold's mom, Susan Claybold. It's called The Mother's Reckoning. It's a good read, but I didn't want to read it because I didn't want to listen to some excuse about how she raised a monster. I didn't want to hear that because I'm too connected to that world and I didn't, I didn't really care to. But my friend said, no, you need to read this. So I read it twice. And you know what? I'm glad I did because what it, ex what it described in there was, and, and if you don't want to read the book, go on, just Google her name and, and you'll, she did a TED Talk that she summarizes the book and it's amazing. It's an amazing uh, presentation because basically what she said was, he, he fooled us because we did get time with him. We did spend time with him. This is what I surmised out of this. They were in his life. They were in his life, but watch. They weren't in his head. And I'm telling you, parents, we got to be in both. Yes, it's not enough. to. He, they refurbished the old BMW together, him and his dad. Meanwhile, he's plotting to kill the school. By the way, they weren't plotting to kill 50, 13 people. That's, who, that's how many were murdered that day. They, they, I don't know if you ever read anything about it, but they, they were trying to blow up the school. They had bombs set up in the cafeteria. They were going to blow up the school. When the kids were coming out of the school because it was on fire, they had enough ammunition to take over Rhode Island, and they were going to just mow those kids down. That's what, that was what was supposed to happen. So meanwhile, while he's refurbishing the BMW, while he's having movie night with his parents, he is planning to kill the school. Now, obviously, I, this is a, a, a very strong example of the gap between, you know, where the parents thought he was and where he really was. But the same principle applies. We have got to not just get in our kids' lives. We've got to get in their heads a little bit and understand and not just summarize, well, we had pressure when we were in high school or, you know, stereotype, like, give your resume, your, your, your school experience. You, you've got to help them understand that you understand them. So let me read a couple quotes from, from what Susan Clable wrote about her son and about what happened at Columbine. Go ahead and throw those quotes up. I wish I would have spent much more time and energy determining the climate and culture of the school and how appropriate it was for Dylan than assessing it academically. Unfortunately, we did not have the slightest idea what his daily life was like in school. Back then, I would have told you that Dylan couldn't have fooled me, right? Image management. Given the chance to travel back in time, I would ransack every nook and cranny of my children's room looking not just for drugs or goods that we haven't bought, but any window, any window into their inner lives because they're going to give you a window. They're not going to give you the whole thing. They're going to give you glimpses, right? When we search our children's rooms or read their journals, we risk that they will feel betrayed. However, they may be hiding problems they cannot manage themselves. Dylan's journal revealed a vast chasm between our perception of his reality and his own perception of it. And this, is, this breaks my heart. Dylan was loved, but he did not feel loved. He was valued, but he did not feel valuable. He had many options, but Eric's death and destruction was the only one he could see. The gap. That gap. That gap. So let's talk about three Three things before I close up that we can learn from 
learn about teenagers and about what our approach is. Number one, we as Christians and Christian leaders, we, we have to get serious about walking in our God-given roles as Christians when it comes to the protection of innocence. I, 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 I hesitate to even bring this point up because it's such a, uh, but there's an attack on innocence. I mean, that I even have to say this bothers me, but child trafficking, the more innocent they are, the more money they're worth. That's so gross. There's an attack. If I, listen, there's a real hell, there's a real heaven, and there's a real devil, and there's a real strategy to, to, to hurt people, and you know what? The strategy is to destroy innocence. I know this is a thud message, I'm sorry, but this, this is my world, this is what I live in. And, and it's a destruction of innocence. It's, they're going after innocence. Pornography has a, has a, has a it starts out with, with, with just skin or whatever, but if you, when pornography gets into destruction of innocence, that's where it goes to. It's an attack on, from the enemy. I had a, a guy at a church one time walk up to me and he goes, would you pray for me that I won't look at pornography? And I said, no, I'm not going to pray that because you're going to. So I said, but I'm going to pray this. The next time you look at it, look at it through God's eyes. You won't look at it again. You won't. Because when you see it through the eyes of innocence, it changes you. When you see everything, not just pornography, you see everything through the eyes of God. When you see people that, that annoy you, you see people that, that are sinning, that, that bug you. When you see it through the God's eyes, it changes everything. You can't, you, it changes you. It changes you. Amen, church? It does. It changes you. I don't want to see things the way Mike Donahue sees them because I'm going to see them through Boston eyes. I come to the South and you guys are crazy. And you talk funny, right? Y'all, y'all got one to the barbecue. What did you just say? What did you just say? Right? Yeehaw, right? Meemaw. Meemaw's going down. What? I don't even know. I, had, I asked for directions one time in Tennessee when I was traveling through here. And some guy goes, you can't go down to here, the horn of here, my hand, huh? I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> you guys are nuts. No, I don't want to see things the way I see them because I'll see them skewed. I'll see them through Boston eyes, right? I've got to see this world through the way God sees it. You've got to see the world. You've got to see your teenagers through the way God sees them. I love Jesus when he, he rebuked the, the, not the Pharisees, he rebuked the disciples because they were trying to hinder the kids, right? Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16, people were bringing little children to Jesus. Stay with me, guys. I'll just read it. Oh, here we go. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, ticked off. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. Let innocence come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. I love that. Jesus had a protection of innocence. There was a protection of innocence. And we as, 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 as men and women of God, we've got to protect innocence. And that means that we need to not exploit innocence. And, you know, I'll just say this, that, that the... I'm bringing up child pornography and all this other stuff or, or whatever, and, and that's, that's just such a gross thing. But, but here's the thing. We as, we as Christian parents, sometimes we exploit innocence by not letting our kids 
be kids, right? When we force them to grow up too soon, well, you need, you need to sit up and strut, and, and, we, and we, we put all these expectations on them to be little adults when they're 13. I got rips in my jeans right here, okay? I, I didn't wear this on purpose, but this has a story. Story was, I'm at a family reunion. My wife, everybody wave to my wife. She's right over here. This is Rachel. She's, a, uh, she's from Russia. She doesn't speak English. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> We were at a family reunion, her family, and, um, and then all the guys were out shooting skeet, or shooting Blue Rock, right? So um, I'm a Nebraska Cornhusker fan, so I was going up to the house to watch the game. But I'm walking by this little 12-year-old boy named Jared, who's, who's, a, who's a fantastic kid, right? All boy. Just, just he's, I, I, and I just kind of glanced over to see what he's doing, and he's putting gunpowder in a pumpkin, right? So I'm like... <laughs> In my head, I'm like, this ain't going to end well, but I want to watch the game, so I'm just going to, you know, just go. And he's all confident, right? He's like, just put it in there, and I'm like, well, he must know what he's doing, right? He looks like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> well, sooner, about, you know, 10 minutes later, boom, right? And, and I'm like, oh, and then I look out the window, and I see adult women running. I'm like, oh, this ain't good, right? Because all the guys are out shooting Blue Rock, so I'm like, uh-oh. So I go running out, and I see flames, and the field caught on fire. And I mean, like, not a little fire, like as big as this section right here. It's on fire, right? So I, I'm like, get the, get the shovel, ah! right? So I jump the fence, rip my pants, and so this, is, this has a cool story. So we put the fire out, and all the guys come off the field. They saw the flames, and they came out with the trucks, and we got the fire out. It took us about a half hour. For, this is a fire, right? So... This was awesome. So Jared, poor Jared is like, he's going to get in trouble, right? So he's all upset. And, and, but, but what happened was, as soon as the fire was out, and we knew it was out, the guy, everybody just went their separate ways. Nobody said a word to him, right? They just, even his dad. His dad just took, you know. And so I was watching this, and I pulled him, on, I pulled him aside, and I go, Jared, are you, are you wondering why you didn't get in trouble? He goes, yeah. I go, because there isn't a guy here that hasn't set a field on fire. Like, <laughs> Like, we've all done that, right? And, and, and it was beautiful, because he was like, oh, okay, <laughs> right? You know, because someday his kid's going to do that. You know, he's going to have to figure it out. And, and, and I know that's costly. The field got scorched, but you know what? Listen, we got to help our kids be kids, amen? And, I, and I'm going to just tell you, as the youth pastor, we're probably going to break some rules. I'll just say this in front of the camera. The van's going to get dirty, right? We're going we're gonna to have... We're gonna do. We're gonna blow stuff up. We're gonna do stuff that you know. I'll probably get called in and go. You know, why did you do that? I don't know. We're just trying to win kids, so we're gonna do stupid stuff. We gotta let kids be kids. Amen. I'm gonna teach them about Jesus. I'm gonna teach them to go after him with everything they have. But I'm also gonna let them be kids, because they are kids and they gotta figure it out. Amen. Number two, and I'm almost done. We should be grieved by teenagers' sin, but we as Christians need to stop being personally offended by their sin. I just don't like, I love being a Christian. I love following Jesus. But one of the things I don't like about being a Christian is listening to all these Christians get upset about sin in the wrong context. They're not grieved. They're ticked off that it's offending their world. Do you see how that is different than how Jesus was? When Jesus walked down and saw all these people harassed and messed up, he went, oh, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He he was grieved by by their world, not offended by it. He wasn't offended by it. He hung out with sinners. The, the famous scripture we all read a million times, we, he was with, scripture, with, with sinners, and the, the Pharisees said, why is your teacher with... They didn't even ask him. They asked the Pharisees, why, why, I mean the, the disciples, why, isn't he, why is he hanging out with all these bad people? And Jesus said, it's because the sick need a doctor. 
We can't, we got to stop being offended by sin and be grieved by it. I'm not saying we tolerate sin. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's a difference when you're grieved by it. it it's even more costly when you're grieved by it. When you're offended by it, you can just get ticked off. But when you're grieved by it, when a 14-year-old girl comes up to you, and this has happened to me at a school, and she comes up and she says, I'm identifying as a male now because, of, because I, I don't, I don't want to be a female. I'm not in my head as a Christian going, I better bust out Leviticus for her right now and get her straightened out. That would be the stupidest thing I could do. Amen? amen. Please say amen. Please say amen. amen. Because that's stupid. It's foolish. Because it's negating 14 years of pain. And I'm going to wipe it out with one scripture. That's being a bully. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to help her by under, helping her understand God loves her. And, and stay in my lane. Stay in my lane. I'm not going to try to get her fixed. I'm just going to love her and try to be Jesus with skin on, try to help her see the aroma of Christ in me so maybe someday she'll get a full dose of it. Being offended by sin causes judgment and lack of empathy. Being grieved by sin will cause you to have God's heart for the people that God loves. And I read that scripture. I want to go into breaking news, okay? Breaking news. America is no longer a Christian nation. Can we just say it? It's not. It's not. And you know what? It hasn't been for a long time, but the veneer is off now. It hasn't been. Child pornography's been around in the 70s. Are you kidding me? It, trafficking was around back then. We just Now the veneer, the Christian veneer is off. And so we see who we really are. We're not a Christian nation. And you know what? And I'm not fighting. I'm going to be, I may lose some friends with this statement, but I'm going to say it. Go ahead and throw that up there. I, Mike Donahue, I'm not fighting to restore America to a Christian nation. If that's your calling, that's great. I'm not... I'm not downing that. I'm just saying that I'm not, that's not my calling. I fight for the victims of a godless society. Because when I walk through the school, I'm not thinking I want America to be the way it used to be in the 50s. I'm thinking I want these kids to be healed. I want these kids to see that God really does love them. That's what I'm thinking. I'm not worried about what the country's going to do. I don't care. I care about them. That's what I care about. Because they're being slaughtered, you guys. They're being slaughtered. And trust me, because I'm not some rookie that just started speaking in schools last year. I've been doing it for 20 years. They're being slaughtered. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm coming with everything I have, and, I, and, and I'm going to help them. And this is the reason why. This, we, Craig and I, both get these things. And go, guys, go through these a little quicker. These are the things that people send us to let us know that, they, that they've, they've got pain. This is, this is what's walking into our church. This will walk into our church. This will walk into our church through freed. This will walk in through these doors. These stories, these things. The results of a, of a godless nation. A nation that turns back on God and said, we're going to do our own thing. We, the kids are the ones that are paying the price. That was given to me at a, at a social work thing I speak at every year up in Duluth, Minnesota, and I went to the, you can take that off because I don't want to see it anymore, but I went to the social worker, and I said, please, and I had this in my hand, and I said, please tell me she's lying. I would, I would love to hear that she's lying about this, and she said no. That's why she's in foster care. This is what's happening to our kids. And last point, let me just say this, sin is the language of the wounded. Sin is the language of the wounded. We can be offended by it, but you know what? It's the language of the wounded. 
Show me the sin of a society and I will show you the pain they are in, the confusion they are in, and they need God. Amen? Number three, and this is going to sound like I'm being selfish, but I don't care. Support your local missionaries to this closed nation, youth pastors. Support. I, I've preached this in other churches and I, I say this. Ch- youth groups should not be the afterthought. Oh, give it to the kids. No, youth, youth ministry should be cathedrals. We need to be putting our money into youth groups. I'm thankful that I'm at a church that Pastor T and Shanda and the whole team, they believe in that. Can we clap for that? Because they believe in that. That's why I'm here. They believe in that. And you know what? Thank God, because that's what it should be. We should be building cathedrals for these kids. We should make this place the best youth ministry. Not so anybody can pat themselves on the back, but so we can get more kids. Amen? Amen. So we can pluck them from the mess. We can pluck them from the mess. Because Ezekiel chapter 34, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and this is, this is God talking to shepherds, talking to churches, going, you don't see what I see. I'm looking out at the field. He's not talking about sheep. He's talking about people, kids. And he, and he, and he says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They don't need a motivational speaker. They don't. They need shepherds. They need leaders. They need examples. And he said, when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And I'm just telling you, one of the, one of the things I don't like about my job, that I hate about my job, and I've called her, haven't I? I've called you at the, at, when I'm done talking to a kid, and I've, I've called her and said, I just heard the worst story. You know, I'll be all good for the kid. I'll sit and listen to him, hug him, love him. And then, I, I, and then when he leaves, I sit in the auditorium like this, and I call her, and I go, I just heard, wild animals, hate it. They're getting destroyed. And we as a church need to, need, need to do something about it. Amen? And you have a youth pastor that knows how to fight. I'm a hockey player. Okay, I am. And, and I fight. We're going. And we're going to do it. We're going to get these kids. These shoes. I do one funny thing real fast. Eighth grade girls are the craziest people on the planet. You know that, right? <laughs> when an eighth grade girl come up to me, she saw my shoes like this. She goes, ew, why do you have a bag of other people's shoes? And she said it like that, like her head was going, the whole thing. <laughs> right? And so I go, <laughs> I wanted to say something nice to her. You know, I, I'd be nice to her, but I, I was, it was like 7.30 in the morning. I hadn't had coffee yet, so I just looked at her. I picked up one of the shoes, and I went, because I smell them when I'm lonely. <laughs> Don't clap for that. That's messed up. <laughs> a few years ago, I took all the shoes out, and I put them on, a, on my driveway and took a picture of them. And when I was putting them back, I read, I forgot about all the stuff they write. Right? They write, this one says unwanted. And they write stuff. And, and they, they put stuff in them. They give them, they give them to me. And they, they put their stories in there. They put notes in there. And so I, wanna, I put a video together. I'm not the best video guy. We have a great team here, but um, I'm, I put this video together. So I, I want to show you what's going to walk through these doors. What's coming? What's coming? And what's already here, but what's coming? So let's put this on.
keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every again just who I am because I need to know Stand your feet, please. Stand your feet, please. That's what's coming through our doors. If I can help it, that's what's coming through the doors. And we can't just be Jesus loves you, church. You know what I mean? It can't just be, uh, it can't be an afterthought. We got we to gotta equip them. Amen? We got to help them navigate through. I'm here today because somebody invested in me and helped me walk through that pain that I went through with my mom and dad leaving and all that. And so that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm here to do what I can and to raise up leaders to do the same. And so we have some precious, precious people in this room right now. 
like incredibly precious people. If you are a teenager up to the age of 19, if you, if you wouldn't mind, I'm not going to embarrass you. We're, we're running a little late, but you guys are used to that, right, Pastor T? Sorry, Pastor T. But, um, if you don't mind, if you, we just want to pray for you. We're not going to do anything gimmicky or weird. But if you are a teenager, and I, I'd like you to come down to the front right here. Can we clap for them as they come? If you're a young person up to 19. These are our babies, man. These are our kids. Aren't they beautiful? You owe me money. Just kidding. (laughs) How much? Your whole life. All right. Let's pray for them. If you don't mind, just extend your hands out towards them. And let's pray because there is an attack on them. Hell is real. The devil is real. There is an attack. But the Bible says that that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Amen? And when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise a standard against it. Let's be the standard, church. Let freedom be the standard for, for Gallatin. I know there's a lot of good youth groups here. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about it. But I want to be a standard for these guys. I want us to raise a, a level of excellence in our youth ministry that's above anything they've seen. Father God, we just pray in the name of Jesus that there would be, you would just protect them, God. There are, there are kids here even now, God, that, that have been messed with. And we just plead the blood of Jesus over them. We pray, God, for your protection. We pray for your clarity. We pray for your presence, God. It's not a good youth group that's going to help them. It's you. We're just a tool. We're just the, the tool in your hand. And we want to be the best tool we can be, but God, it's you. It's you working through us to help them see you in everything, God. To be that foundation in their heart to know that they're loved no matter what, no matter what comes at them, no matter what comes through those doors. God, you you love them and you're big enough to handle it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you wouldn't mind, if there's anybody in this room right now that you'd say, Mike, you know what? I don't even know if I know Jesus right now. I don't know if I have an opening where I, I, I know he's real. And you're, maybe you're an adult, maybe you're, maybe you're a child, maybe you're a student, but, but you right now are saying, you know what, I, w- I want, I watch that video and, and there's things that are messing with me. And I, yeah, I need to know that God loves me. I need to know that God cares. If that's you in this room, and I don't know if there's anybody, but if you need to accept Christ into your life right now, it would be my privilege to pray with you. If that's any of you, raise your hand, just put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, everybody in this room, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. I know I need you. I try to do things on my own, but I know it doesn't work. So I pray right now for you to forgive me and to come more into my life. I yield to you. I give it to you. Come into my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody in the room, raise your hand. I, state your name. Do, hereby will, promise.
to go for my dream, to let God in, to abandon this junk. In Jesus' name, amen. They're trained already. <laughs> I'm available. If you want to, if you're a parent in this room or even a student, if you want to talk to me afterwards, I'm not running out of here. So if you want to chat with me, I'd love to chat with you. We do have a parent night tonight at six o'clock. I'm going to be unpacking some of the vision that God is, is doing through uh, Freed, but also because I'm the new guy and I want to, to give you my philosophy, but also I'm going to unpack some of the stuff I talked about tonight. So to this morning. So if you want like to come tonight at six o'clock, we do not have childcare uh, for this. So I just want to let you know that but I uh, would love to have you. Six to seven, I'm not gonna keep you past seven. So uh, see you at six o'clock in the freed room over there where, the, where we do youth. Uh, that's where we'll be. Thank you so much. And I think Kirsten's coming out. Give it up for Kirsten, one of the youth leaders. She's awesome. Well, good morning, Freedom Church. I am so glad that you guys tuned in with us this morning. Listen, if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know about it. We want to celebrate with you. So we have an online connection card. You can click the link in the description of the video that you're watching right now. Um, let us know about it. Let us know that you accepted Christ as your Savior. Um, and also if you made any other next steps, whether you know you want to be baptized or you want to join a connection group or you want to start serving, let us know about it. We want to connect with you. Even though right now we're online, we would just love to continue to connect with you through this season. All right, what's well, one of our favorite parts of the service. Yes, I did say favorite parts. We are going to give back to God. You know, the reason that God calls us to give with open hands is so that he can just continue to pour back into us. We want to be faithful with what he's given us. So if you're ready to give your tithe or offering, you can find links for that. You can go on our app to give um, and you can visit our website. You can also do it the old fashioned way. You can write a check. You can mail it to Freedom Church, 1010 Freedom Church Road in Gallatin, Tennessee. Or you can just drop it by the church during the week, during our office hours, Monday through Thursday. So we just are so glad that you watched with us today. Um, we hope you tune back in next week and we'll see you soon.